coming to grips with suffering. I trust you are being helped by this series. If you were not here for the last two Sundays, I want to encourage you, go on the website or you can get the messages from our resource center or our media ministry, and we can get those to you. I think they'll be very helpful to you. Just in very quick review, we saw that the main overall reason that there is suffering in the world is because of sin. And I'm talking about sin that came on of all creation. Okay, when Adam and Eve sinned, death passed upon all men. Death, the creation came under a curse. And that is why we have sorrow today. That is why we have sickness today. That is why we have disease today. That is why people hurt That's why people get hurt. That's why people suffer. That's why people are mean to one another. It's all because of sin. The good news is one day it's all going to be made right. And so that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. We also saw that uh, the reason there is suffering is so that people will turn to the Lord and be saved. You know, Jesus Christ is the answer. And sometimes God will bring things into a life. And things become difficult so that people will say, I need help outside of myself. I need somebody bigger than me. Well, the only one who can truly help is the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, you might say, well, you know, I wish there would have been another way for me to get saved than to have to go through suffering to get to that point. We won't think that way in eternity. We will think, you know what, as real and as terrible as suffering is, and listen, I'm not making light of it, it will be nothing compared to eternity with Christ nothing. That's forever. That's forever. And another reason we saw last week for suffering, and I think it's a big one, is ignorance of God's word. Now we spent all last week on this one. There are many people who just do not know what to do with the issues of life, and they don't know the word of God. They don't know what the answers are. And most people today don't even know where to get the answers. And so they're making wrong decisions, one after another, after another, after another. And sometimes those wrong decisions go through their whole life. And of course, if they have children, they're teaching their children how to make life decisions based on their wrong decisions. And so these wrong decisions and ways get perpetuated down through the generations. And we've got a mess on our hands. Ignorance of God's word is an awful reason for suffering. But it is one for suffering. Unintentional. Self-infliction is what that is. As a result, because they don't know God's word, they make decisions based on their ideas or on their feelings. And we today, that's what everybody is teaching today. How do you feel about that? Make it based on, you know, you see it in, in movies and in commercials and everything. Trust your heart. Trust your heart. No, don't trust your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand the heart? Only God can. By the way, that is in the next verse there in the context. So the next reason for suffering is one that many do not want to hear about, but I would not be a preacher of the word of God if I didn't mention this one. This is perhaps one of the most difficult ones for people to accept because it comes face to face with pride, head to head with pride. I can't help but think of, uh, I did a little survey this morning. I asked a few people, hey, uh, have you ever taken castor oil? Now, how many of you have, by the way? I have not. I had merciful parents. (laughs) You know, castor oil is good for some things. We won't go into detail. From what I understand, it's, it's awful tasting medicine, but sometimes you have to take bad tasting medicine to feel better. 
And what I have today, especially the first part, we're going to cover two reasons for suffering today. The first one, though, is the bad tasting medicine. And it is number four, coming to grips with suffering. What's another reason for suffering? Number four, the result of rebellious living. Don't turn off the radio. Don't leave the auditorium. Don't stop listening. Of course, all suffering began with sin anyway. We know that, but simply put, the result of rebellious living, let me define it. Simply put, this is a situation where a person has brought suffering upon themselves. It is not God testing them. It is not random circumstances, or as some would say, bad luck, ridiculous, but the natural result of careless living and rebellion towards God and his word. This is a major reason for suffering, self-inflicted because of rebellion towards the word of God. I know that doesn't sit well with the society and the media and a lot of the world in which we live today. A lot of Christians, Christians who are out of fellowship with God, who are running from God, who are in rebellion towards God. They don't want to hear it. You know, things happen to us and we have to pay a price because of our carelessness, because of our rebellion. And we don't want to admit it. We'd rather blame someone else for it. It is a matter, though, of sowing sinful seed in our lives and then reaping the results of that down the road. Sometimes it comes quickly. Other times it can take a long time to come. And that's where it becomes very deceptive. There's a cliche. It goes this way. Heaven's silence is not heaven's consent. Because we do something wrong and we know it and we don't seem to hear from God about it. We think, oh, I got away with it. It's okay. No, friend, we will reap what we sow. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Now, I do want to bring attention to Galatians 6, 7, and 8. And know in these verses, by the way, that there are two sides to sowing and reaping. And the best thing to do is sow to the Spirit because then we can also claim the promise that we will reap good things down the road. Did you know that's just as much of the law of sowing and reaping as the bad part? We always think in terms of the bad. And by the way, that is what I'm going to emphasize in just a minute. But it is both ways. It is both ways. That is one of the things that has kept me in the ministry is believing God, walking by faith, Saying, Lord, even when things are difficult, even when things are hard, even when things are, it seems like at the the end of it, knowing, God, you will be faithful to what you've said, and I will keep going forward, and we will reap because we've sown. And by the way, the reaping may not even come in this life, Christian, but it will come in the next. Now, it says in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, the old sin nature, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I think of the law of gravity. I've used this illustration many times before. But if you went to the Wells Fargo building there, think of the Wells Fargo building downtown. I don't know how many stories that is. But you know, there is something we have in the world called the law of gravity. Do you notice what it's called? The law of gravity? And you know what the law of gravity is. Basically, what goes up must come down, that that idea. If you were to go up on top of the Wells Fargo building, I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how important you think you are. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. I don't care how popular you are. You may have 12 gazillion friends on Facebook. (laughs) 
if you were to get on top of that building and you say, you know what? I am the exception to the law of gravity. Watch me. And you jumped off. Yes, we would watch you. We would watch you plunge to your death. You will die. Doesn't matter how much you think of yourself. It doesn't matter if you think you're an exception. You will die. Why? Because it's the law of gravity. Folks, here in Galatians 6, we have the law of sowing and reaping. God is the one who is the creator, the sustainer, the one who pulls everything off in this world. God is the one who said it, and it will happen, and it'll happen to me, and it'll happen to you. None of us are exceptions. See, we get thinking we're exceptions because our pride kicks in, and we get blinded by our pride. We think we're better or we're above these things. No, we're not. The issue of rebellion requires us to be honest about our suffering and our circumstances. I find many times that rebellious people don't want to face up to this. They want to blame everyone else for their suffering. Okay, They're a victim. They're always the victim. I know these are hard words today, but it needs to be said. We need to take the medicine so we can get better. Turn with me to James chapter 1. Verse 13, it says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. See, there's the blame game. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts. It's his own choice. And enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, look at the next three words, bringeth forth death. Okay? Suffering. Suffering. Suffering because of rebellion, rejection of the truth of God, insisting on one's own way, ends in a life of destruction and maybe even literally physical death. Now listen, I know people will say, well, I don't believe in a God like that. We're not talking about a God like that. We are talking about us like that. God wants to bless. God wants us to know his freedom his liberty. That's what God wants. God wants our lives to be rewarded. God wants to use us for his glory as children of God. But when we insist on our own way and go our own way, and then we have to pay a price, how wrong it is for us to turn around and point our finger at God and say, why'd you let that happen to me? No, you brought it on yourself. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves. That's the point of this point, this reason. Let me show you just kind of quickly some verses, okay? I'm not going to say a lot about them, but I want you to see them all. Romans chapter 8. You notice we're tempted, then we're drawn away of our own lust. We're enticed. Lust conceives, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it is finished in the end, sin leads to death. It's just the way it is. Well, I don't believe that. doesn't matter. Well, it does matter for your sake, because you're going to end up paying the price. And anybody who goes against God will end up one day paying a price for that. Well, I don't believe that. It's a law. It's a law. Just as sure as the law of gravity. Romans 8, 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Do you see that? But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Paul writing to Christians here. If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Proverbs chapter 10 couple verses here in Proverbs. I could show you so many. We just don't have time for a gazillion of them today. Proverbs 10, 27. It says this, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. I can't 
help but think of those who have gone outside the boundaries of traditional marriage and proper relationship, okay? And through perverse living, perverse, wicked, wrong, according to the Bible. Now, you know what? If somebody hears this and wants to send me an angry letter about homosexuality or whatever, please don't. Please don't. You know, there's hope for you, dear friend, in Jesus Christ. God loves you. He wants to save you. But here's the truth of it. That kind of lifestyle many times leads to AIDS, and your life is going to be shortened, most likely, most likely. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. Look at chapter 11, verse 19. As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it to his own death. One more verse on this. Back to Romans chapter 6. I'm just showing you several because I'm trying to make the point that this is all the way through Scripture. This is a truth. This is a principle that is there, and it cannot be escaped. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death, there it is again, whether of sin unto death, or of obedience unto righteousness. The wages of sin, yes, eternally is death, but folks, on a temporary or a life level, okay, the wages of sin is death. In life, the wages of sin is death. Sin always leads to death. So we can bring suffering upon ourselves when we are living in rebellion towards God. I think of drinking alcohol. Now, we're we're not going to get in an argument on that, by the way. You know what? You always interpret unclear passages by clear ones. Go to Proverbs. Proverbs is very clear. You don't look at wine when it's in an alcoholic state. You don't even look at it. It's what it says. We're not going to get into the thing about Jesus in the water. By the way, yeah, he turned water into wine. Well, I guess I will say it, seeing I'm here. He turned water into wine. You know, people are like, what about Jesus? He turned water into wine. Yeah, he turned water into wine, and it was old wine or new wine? Well, it was new wine because he just made it. New wine is not fermented. New wine is not alcoholic. Okay? Common sense tells you that if you just think it through. But see, we get blinded by our own flesh wanting to justify things. Anyway, one preacher of the past said this, if a man gets drunk and goes out and breaks his leg so that it must be amputated... God will forgive him if he asks it, but he will have to hop around on one leg all of his life. You see how we bring suffering upon ourselves? Immoral and perverse behavior. This often results in disease between man and woman and can result in unwanted pregnancies. Let me just show you a progression here. And by the way, if there's any woman here today who has had an abortion, okay, God will forgive you. God can and God will, okay? You go to him and confess that to him. He will forgive you. But that doesn't mean you may not have to live with a scar. People make wrong decisions. I understand that. Every time we sin, we, including me, every time we sin, it's the wrong decision, right? Promiscuous living oftentimes can lead to an unwanted pregnancy. Unwanted pregnancy. Now what do we do with this baby? Well, let's get an abortion. Well, that's murder. Now having to live with the, maybe the physical ramifications of that, as well with the guilt issues involved in that, that come. And so what can that lead to? Somebody can live under so much guilt that if they don't find the answer in Jesus Christ, there are times when that leads to suicide. Folks, this is what can happen. 
I'm just saying, do we see the pattern? Do we see the progression in this? It doesn't have to be. That's suffering. That's suffering. How did it begin? That type of suffering began with a rejection and a rebellion towards the truth of God. Doesn't have to be. Disease, unwanted pregnancies, major changes in life, damaged emotions. By the way, pornography. Pornography is one of the great evils of our society today that is going on and it's everywhere. And by the way, it's not just men, it's women too. And what does it do? It destroys marriages. It destroys lives. Listen, if you need help with this, come learn the word of God and come to church, come to our addictions program. Are you recovery and get help? It's a found by the way, in Jesus Christ, taking drugs, people who take drugs, How does it begin? Well, I wonder what it would feel like. I just wonder. I'm curious. Okay? What can that lead to? Drug babies can lead to loss of health. It can lead to death, loss of job, loss of income. And it all began maybe by smoking that first joint. Well, don't you know it's legal? Doesn't make it right. Abortion is legal. It's not right, but it's legal. Taking drugs alcoholism, which is drunkenness, according to the Bible. What often can take place? Somebody who gets consumed with that, no pun intended, liver disease, which can lead to liver cancer, which can lead to death. One of my heroes growing up, Mickey Mantle, baseball player, loved watching him play. One of the greatest athletes who ever lived, destroyed his life through alcohol and loose living. At the end of his life, he came to his senses, and his teammate, who he played with many years, dedicated Christian, second baseman, Bobby Richardson, led him to Christ on John 3.16. Do you know what? His life was behind him. And you know what he did after he trusted Christ? Every time he was interviewed, he talked about, please don't use me as a role model. I'm a very poor role model. These weren't his exact words, but this was the point of it. I wrecked my life. I wrecked my life. Wrong decisions. I did it the wrong way. Do we get the point? People who break the law over and over and over, where do they end up? They end up in jail. And they end up spending their life in jail. That wasn't God's plan for them. But it's something they brought on themselves. Simply put, folks, you cannot unscramble eggs. You just can't do it. Then, of course, there's the sins of omission. This is not doing what we know to do. See, if we want to experience many problems in life down the road, all we need to do now is neglect the Lord and his word. And that neglecting of what we know we should do, that will come back to haunt us and we will end up suffering because of it. How sad that is. You know, when I see somebody suffering because of poor choices, I never think in my mind, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh, good for you. I'm glad that happened to you. I never think that. As a matter of fact, God's very clear. That's a sin. That's a sin to be that way. But what I feel is sorrow of heart to see a life being destroyed when it didn't have to be. There is hope for the future in Jesus Christ. Let's move on. Number five, fifth reason, the chastening of God, the chastening of God. Now you might say, well, isn't that related to the one before it? Not necessarily, not necessarily. Could be the chastening of God. This is only for believers. God chastens his children. Who are his children? Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone as their savior. Those who understand there's nothing they can do to save themselves. We're sinners and we deserve to go to hell. Let me explain it to you. Look up here. 
This hand representing you and me. My wallet representing sin. We are all sinners. All of us are sinners. I'm a sinner. We are all sinners. God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. How do you know God loves us? Oh, I've done terrible things. I don't believe God loves me. He does. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. Are you part of the world? Yes. Then he loves you. He loves me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, this hand, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth, and when he died on the cross, he took our sins upon himself. He paid for our sins so we don't have to. Paid for them all, was buried, came back from the dead. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ that he made that payment for you, he gives you as a gift everlasting life. Everlasting life. He'll never lose you, never cast you out. You become his child that moment. See, if we don't trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior, then we are responsible for our own sin. And when we die, we'll spend forever separated from God. The wages of sin is death. Make no mistake about it. But the gift of God is eternal life. Good works won't take away sin. Death is the only payment God accepts. And if we do it, it'll take forever. Basically, it's a dead end. But when you trust in Jesus Christ that he died for you and paid for your sins and rose from the grave, all your sin is taken away when you trust in him. He forgives you of all your sin. He cleanses you completely. And you become his child. You have everlasting life. You're one of his kids now. What a wonder that is. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 12. This issue of chastening. What does the word chasten mean? You might say, well, I know what it means. It means to punish. No, that isn't what it means. Now, God can chasten us through punishment, if you want to call it that. But that is not what the word actually means. The word chasten means to train up a child or to educate. It means to discipline. Discipline has to do with learning something. As a matter of fact, the word chasten is translated in our King James Bible several ways. One of them is instruct. Instruct. Another one is to learn. Another one is to teach. Now, that is what chastening does. It instructs. It teaches us. We learn from it. So when God starts dealing in my life, it can be through testing. Maybe not because of even sin that I've committed. Maybe it's just God chastening me because he's discipling me. Discipline, discipled, you understand it's the same root word? He's teaching me. There's something for me to learn in my life. So I can go through a testing or I can go through suffering in my life. And it may not be because of wrongdoing. Could be. Often it is but not always. And by the way, that's really important to remember when you see somebody going through a difficult time, how often it is, and I hear people say it, somebody's going through a difficult time. Lord's trying to get your attention. You know what? If I were you, I'd change your attitude because I think the Lord's going to try to get your attention. We don't know what's going on in that life. Now, if the person confesses it, says, you know what, I've been, I have not been cooperating for God, and he had to bring something into my life, and he had to give me a whipping. Well, they know that between them and God. See, chastening isn't always a negative issue. It is rather instruction by discipline, instruction by discipline. It is a divine method used for our education. And by the way, it doesn't always come immediately. Hebrews chapter 12, verse Five, it says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. That's a quote from Proverbs. Verse six, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, 
disciplines and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, yes, the word scourge here is a negative, painful issue. The word scourge here, it's the same word that was used about what they did to the back of Jesus at his trial. Yes, it can be painful. Chastening can be painful. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son. Do you see that? Every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Because we all have to learn. So God has to chasten. He has to discipline. And yes, sometimes it is through pain. And sometimes it is through suffering. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all, you see that? All are partakers. Then are ye bastards or illegitimate and not sons? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, our natural dads. But he, the Lord, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Do you see why he chastens? Not to get even, not to relieve anger in himself. He chastens that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, what is that talking about, by the way, there in verse 10? That can be a very confusing verse. I think it's saying this. Some earthly fathers discipline their children for reasons that seem good to them or even satisfy their thinking. But the Lord always does it for our profit. Human fathers can sometimes discipline for themselves. Now, I feel better because I relieve myself by spanking my child. God never does it for that reason. He does it for our profit. And it's that we might be partakers of his holiness. See, chastening can be over an extended period of time as well. Also, once it begins, the issue can continue. Listen, even if we confess our sin, chastening can continue. It can continue until the Lord says in his own mind, okay, that's enough. I've done what I've needed to do in this life. Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. I can start on a path to where I'm drifting from God. God can decide he's going to chasten me. I respond to his chastening and surrender to him and confess my sin to him. Does he forgive me? Yes, he forgives me. But the chastening he brings into my life may be something that's a whole lot longer. A situation I'm going to have to live with because of what I did. That wasn't right. And he had to teach me. I'll give you some examples in a minute. There are times when the Lord brings or lets circumstances come into our lives to train us and teach us to walk with him in a greater capacity. And by the way, if this message today seems a little dark and heavy, there's a lot more encouraging ones down the road in this series, okay? They're not all like this, but this is a reason for suffering. And there are times when God has to discipline us to get us back on track. By the way, just like any good parent would do, if you're a good parent, you're going to discipline your children because that's a mark of love. See, the testings and trials that may be involved come in many forms. And by the way, that's not for us to choose. It's for God to decide. Not every time difficult things happen to us is it because of sin in our lives, but it can be. We need to be honest about it. Again, it's a heart issue. We need to be honest about it. Is this suffering that's coming to my life? Is this because of sin in my life? Or is it just simply because I've examined myself? I don't see it. Maybe it's just God chastening me to teach me something that I wouldn't be able to learn otherwise. Let me give you some possible ways God can chasten. The emphasis here is on the word possible. 
And what I'm saying by using that word is this. Not every time these things happen to us is it God chastening us, but it could be. So let me give you some examples. And by the way, only think about yourself. Don't think of the person next to you. Okay, don't sharpen your elbows. Here's one, physical sickness. Does that get your attention? Gets my attention. Does this mean that every time someone is sick, though, that the Lord is chastening him? No, but it can be. You may be sick simply because you went into Walmart and you put your hands on the handle of the cart without cleaning it off or whatever, and there's been some snotty-nosed kid who's got all kinds of stuff crawling on him that got on the handle and, and you did it that way and you, and you right after you did that you felt like you were going to sneeze and so you went oh, that's all it took and it goes and you're sick happens right it happens by the way when you get sick don't say who gave me this who gave me this remember it goes all the way back to the fall of man not last year October okay We're talking about the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Physical sickness. Let me give you another one. Physical death. Whoo-wee. God would do that? Yes. What about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5? It's exactly what he did. It was a sin unto death. He chastened them. Now, he didn't send them to hell. He took them to heaven. But he dropped them dead just like that. Took them just like that. Physical death. It's possible. Here's another one. Financial struggles. Those who don't give as they should. People who say, well, you know what? I don't give because I've got bills to pay. Well, friend, you always put Jesus Christ first. What does the Bible say? Honor the Lord with thy substance with the first fruit of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled, so forth. We walk by faith, not by sight. And God can, if we're not supporting his work the way we should, God can discipline us, teach us. He can dry up our finances. You know what you'll find? Here's what you'll find. You can live better on 90% than you can on 100. Did you know that? If we'll honor God. Now, I know there are people who say that. (gasps) He's talking about tithing. Listen, cool your jets, okay? Tithing is not wicked. I am so tired of Christians. When they hear the word tithe, they freak out and they say, he's a legalist. Listen, there are cases of tithing before the law was ever given. Tithing is not bad. Now, I personally, my wife and I, we believe in giving more than a tithe. Try to be sensitive to God working in your life. That's the best way to give. Be sensitive to God working in your life. We look down our noses on people that tithe. You know, usually those who look down their noses on people that tithe aren't giving 10% and they feel guilty. Listen, this is not about tithing today. I'm just saying, friend, that God can teach us by bringing things into our lives. He can teach us to do what we ought to to do. Listen, you might say, well, we're under grace today. I understand we're under grace. So then if we're under grace, should we give less than those under law? I think we ought to give more. How much? Well, that's up to you. It's up to you. I'm not going to tell you. It's between you and God. But please don't criticize people who tithe. You're judging their heart. You're being a Pharisee. Well, they're tithing. They're self-righteous. No, you're self-righteous. How do you know if they're not doing that from the heart? If they're doing it from the heart, God's blessed by it. Here's another one, car problems. You know, we can be going contrary to God or he just wants us to, just wants to teach us something. So all of a sudden we have a car problem that we didn't plan on. We can always do this. Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Show me what you're trying to teach me. Here's another one. This is very sobering. The death of a child. Wait a minute. You got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. This is possible. God can get the attention of his children sometimes this way. People 
who need to be taught something. It may be they're living in rebellion towards God, or maybe they just have to learn some huge lesson of life, and there's no other way. And God knows what we need, by the way. God knows what we'll respond to. And he can bring that into a life. Now, this may sound very cruel, but we see it, don't we, in the life of David? When his illegitimate son with Bathsheba was taken from him, God was chastening him. The suffering he went through because of that. Here's another one, loss of a job. God could take your job away, trying to teach you something. What's he trying to teach me? I don't know. That's between you and God. Is he just simply trying to teach you something? Or is it discipline for rebellion or what? It's not up to me. I'm just saying these are some of the things that God can do. Persecution is another one. See, the Lord did this many times in the lives of the children of Israel. He told them that he would send them enemies if they didn't shape up. He would send them enemies, and he did. And those enemies, God used to chasten his children to get them back on track. You know, the book of Judges is one case after another, after another, after another. Hebrews, we're in Hebrews 12, verse 11. It says, now no chastening for the present seeth to be joyous, but grievous. Absolutely. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Have you ever been exercised thereby? I have been. And why does God do it? to get us back on track so that we will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. All motivated, back to verse 6 and 7, all motivated by the love of God for his children. Let me just quote you a couple verses. Psalm 119, 67 and 68, it says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. That's the work of chastening in our lives. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. The drifting lamb. So what does God do? He takes the lamb, breaks the leg, and now the lamb is carried on his shoulders. And as that lamb heals, that lamb knows, don't stray too far from the shepherd. Say, oh, that was a painful lesson. Yeah, but it was learned. Psalm 119, verse 71, it says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. That's chastening. It's exactly what it is. Listen today. If you're a child of God, understand, I'm a child of God. God loves us. He's working in our lives. And we don't know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know. We don't know what's coming this afternoon. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you're his child. And he loves you. And folks, he's not going to bring something into our lives by accident. Think of Job. Everything that happened to Job, God allowed it. What devastation happened to that man? But in the end, he was better off. Yeah, easy for me to say. I would not have liked to go through what he went through. But let me also say this. If you're a believer and you are living in rebellion to God, God is going to chasten you. Not only that, but you know what? You will also suffer because of the choices you're making. Eventually, it'll catch up with you. I want to greatly encourage you and exhort you to surrender as a child of God. Surrender to the Lord And let him have his way in your life. He wants to bless your life. But God can't bless sin. It's contrary to who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. Let me also say this. If you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God wants to save you from hell to heaven. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross and pay for all of your sins. And he offers you everlasting life as a free gift. If you'll simply trust in Christ as your Savior. 
Well, do I have to make commitment? No, there's no commitment. It's a matter of receiving what God has done for you. Salvation is a gift, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can be saved forever if you'll trust Christ. No matter what, no matter what. What if I sin? You will. After you trust Christ, you will sin. But God keeps you secure because he's true to his promises. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. That's his word. What if a person chooses a life of rebellion? God will take care of it. Leave that up to him. That's not your problem. Leave it up to him. But if you've never trusted Christ, please trust him today. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.